Hello and welcome to our London History Podcast, where we share our love of London, its people, places and history. It's designed for you to learn things about London that most Londoners don't even know. I am your host, Hazel Baker, qualified London tour guide and CEO and founder of londonguidedwalks.co.uk. Each episode is supported by show notes, transcripts, photos and further reading, all to be found on our website. Click on londonguidedwalks.co.uk, podcast, and then select the episode that you fancy. And if you enjoy what we do, then you'll love our guided walks and private tours that we offer throughout the year. So get that cup of tea, put your feet up and enjoy. We've done it. We have reached triple digits with this being our 100th episode. In 2022 alone, we have produced over 500 minutes of new, unique content. That's 82% more than other creators in the society and culture category. We have listeners in 67 countries, so hello to all of you. And we are in the top 10% of shared podcasts globally. We're also in the top 5% of most followed podcasts. If you don't follow us, then you can do. Click on subscribe totally free in Apple or Google Podcasts and, of course, in Spotify. You can also go to our website, londonguidedwalks.co.uk forward slash podcast. Enter your email there and we'll send you an email when a new episode is ready for you to listen to. Our London History podcast is scoring 4.85 out of 5. So if you haven't rated our podcast, you can do so and do that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I really love reading your comments. This episode, we take a moment to reflect on the origins of the words we often use and hear during this festive period. If you're looking for a way to get your history and language fix all in one go, then stick around. We'll look at how some words such as Christmas and Yuletide first entered our vocabulary, as well as exploring other words associated with Christmas, that of food and drink, and also in songs. To help us navigate through these Christmas words is Danny Bates, a PhD student at the University of Edinburgh, someone who specialises in historic linguistics. He's interested in philology, which is the study of language in oral and written historical sources. Hello, Danny. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hazel. Thank you so much for having me. Not at all. I've been looking forward to this one because it's a little bit different, isn't it? Yes, you could say that. I think it is a bit different, but but, but different in a good way. One of the things when I'm doing my tours is people are absolutely fascinated by languages. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how um, things have changed when we're talking about maybe Shakespeare or um, how certain street names have got their names or indeed areas of, of London as well. And of course, it's Christmas time. Ho, ho, ho. So it makes sense for us to have a look at some uh, Christmas themed vocabulary. So I think, um, what do you think about starting with the actual word of Christmas? 
it's a perfect place to start. So it makes sense to start at the beginning. It is a very good place to start. No, Christmas is a wonderful word. Uh, it is a fascinating word, a word with a very rich history within English. And also, in a sense, it's our word, our us being English speakers. Uh, other languages have their own words, words with a different history and a different formation to them. So Christmas is, uh, you could call it a truly English word. So where do we get, I mean, obviously there's the Christ and the Mass, but how mm -hmm. is it, how is how have we come to create that word? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it has a long history. So uh, it's been a part of the language uh, since, since Old English times, um, Old English being the earliest stage of the language. It was by no means the only uh, competitor uh, you know, within the field of, uh, of Christmassy words um, at that early stage. It, probably not too surprising, uh, the competition in Old English was Yale, uh, which still survives today as Yule. Um, and the uh, Scandinavian languages, if people know some Swedish or Danish or Norwegian, so things like Yol, it has become the default word in those particular languages, but not the case uh, within English. And uh, in, in English, Christmas has won out. Um, Nice and deconstructible as words go. First part of it is Christ. Second part of it is Mass. Mass being, uh, you know, the uh, the act of worship, uh, especially you know uh, within Roman Catholicism and within medieval England. So it's the Mass of Christ, really. So is that more focusing on the the service at the time rather than the actual day or? Um, period you know 12 days of christmas where, where yeah where that's a good point um it, it really does stem from the particular service um and maybe the reason why uh christmas comes to dominance uh, uh and comes to um oust words that may refer to the day in general or for, or, or even to the season, like, you know, Yuletide does, which refers to a, a kind of a, a, a longer time of year, um, Christmas is specifically religious, a, a single religious event um, that then gets extended, uh, you know, as the uh, religious um, event of the year gets extended and it gets uh, it starts to include other things like the day after Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas leading up to Epiphany, um, it becomes the default word for the whole celebration. I could speculate that perhaps this is to tie into other days of the year sort of a, as a way of a, sort of a demarcating the calendar. So in, a, in the same way, we also have you know, things like Michaelmas. Um, but, but really, it's, um, mm -hmm. it's a, sort of a, primarily a religious term that has burst its boundaries and now refers to the whole festival rather than just uh, the religious service that people would go to on that day. Um, when was the first time we see the word Christmas being used? Ooh, good question. As far as I know, it's within Old English uh, sources. So we're talking uh, the Old English period is, well, roughly up until the year um, 1100. So in late Old English, I think we get the first examples of it. And there it really is like a, a compound phrase rather than a compound word. It really is the Christ's mass. It looks like, a, you know, a more complicated thing than just this Christmas that we have today, this kind of mm -hmm. short and snappy word. Um, so, yeah, and then, then we kind of see it uh, uh, flourishing from that point onwards. Don't you think it's a little bit strange because we still have the Yule log that would be put on the fire, and mm. uh, we have a Christmas log, but that's a cake, isn't it? Yeah, 
It is. It really is. That's, that's a funny, but um, words compete. You know, words can easily compete and try and you know jostle with each other down the centuries. Um, and uh, in this particular case, uh, I, I, it makes perfect sense to me that uh, to, to solve this this argy bargy between two words, we we should maybe try and specialize them. We you know just dis- distinguish them and use them in certain contexts and certain phrases. That's quite usual. Um, so yeah, Yule log and, uh, and and Christmas log is yeah. It, it makes sense to me. I know which one I prefer to eat. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> now, last week's episode was all about the, the royal Christmas message. And uh, we have a very particular saying of saying Merry Christmas rather than um, Happy Christmas or indeed Happy Holidays. Um, where, does, where does that come from? Well, that's that's an interesting one. We have this uh, Christmas message, and and I think it's extremely appropriate that um, at least in the UK and perhaps um, other Commonwealth countries, we have the the monarch's Christmas message, which is televised on uh, TV. Extremely appropriate, and I have no idea whether uh, his his Majesty King Charles uh, is aware of this. But uh, message is related to Christmas. Um, it's a long story as to why it may be and somewhat speculative, but it does seem that um, both the mess in message and the mass in Christmas go back to a Latin word, which means to send. Um, so in the idea, the message, perhaps that's a bit more obvious. It's the message is something that's sent. But even mass, a uh, strange word, seems to come from the last word of the Latin mass, which, or the last phrase in this particular example, is something like ite missa est, go, it is the dismissal, like the service is over, go home. Um, and for mm-hmm. some reason, that uh, that word in the final phrase comes to refer to the mass in general. Um, so there's a nice little detail there that uh, the Christmas message and uh, Christmas message, we've got uh, two little um, word siblings side by side there. Fantastic. And where does the merry, I mean, we, we Brits have a bad reputation with um, <clears throat> alcohol or the consumption of. Um, <laughs> what, what, I mean, we've got, you know, Joyous Noel, we've got Feliz Navidad. Um, when you translate them, they're, they're happy, they're joyous. Mm. Whereas we have merry. Is, yeah. what, is Which kind of merry are we really talking about? <laughs> That's a nice one. Um, so merry, again, is, a, is another English word that has a long history. Um, it goes back to Old English, in, in which it would have been pronounced something like merrier. Uh, so really hasn't diverged too much. Um, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting that we've sort of settled on that. Um, as you mentioned, uh, the monarchs, of, you know, the late queen or the, or the current king, we shall see, um, they tend not to say Merry Christmas. It does sort of have these uh, slightly messy connotations to it. That You know, that if you have a Merry Christmas, it means it's a Christmas that's getting out of hand a bit. Um, that's not really the case at all in terms of its history. Um, it, uh, it, it, re- it means more things like, you know, nice and uh, joyous, uh, peaceful. It's got some a bit more serene in its uh, early attestation. So we shouldn't be afraid to use the word merry. I will say that much. Why we've settled on it, that's a different issue. Um, and I'm happy to say kind of outside my remit, um, you'll need someone perhaps who works in like uh, social linguistics or psycholinguistics to tell you why we've, why we've settled on that particular phrase. But as you mentioned, other languages have settled on their alternative words. 
perhaps as Christmas has become um, more widespread, uh, like a, a bigger thing than it used to be in years gone by, perhaps also with um, sort of mass media where you know the same stock phrases are being spread around. I don't know, just speculating, but it is, I, I agree, it is interesting why we've um, focused on this particular adjective that we don't use that much beside Christmas. Uh, so coming back to the Felice Navidad, talking about, you know, as the, its sister word, nativity, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, where do we get that from? Yeah, so um, these are all to do with words uh, to, meaning to be born. Uh, so in Latin, Latin unsurprisingly had a word uh, that, uh, or a verb that means um, to be born, I am born, which would have been something like uh, naski or gnaski in, uh, in older Latin. Um, and this unsurprisingly gives us a whole host of words. I say unsurprisingly, really, it's considering the influence of Latin and considering the importance of birth. So um, it's from this root that we get things like uh, natal, prenatal, native as well. That's to do with your birth. Nation, you know, it's the nation. It's it's the people that you are, you know, born into. Um, and uh, among all of these, uh, Spanish gets uh, Navidad, Navidad, the birth of Christ, um, over the border in um, in uh, France. Uh, French has Noel which has some mm-hmm. currency, I think, within Anglophone, English-speaking cultures as an alternative. I think you can somewhat use Noel. Um, it's, it's in Christmas carols, for example. Um, and then, acro- again, across another border in, uh, in the mighty nation of Wales, um, it's Nadolic, uh, which again comes from Latin. Uh, again, that root all to do with the birth of Christ. Yeah, I suppose that feeds into Natal with um, the Italian and then also the name Natalie, which is born at Christmas. Born at Christmas. There you go. So all a huge connections. English, as is often the case, is the bit of the odd one out in this uh, with this particular word family. Um, but yes, all sorts of words connected to specifically the birth. That's that's what the whole thing is about. That's the whole raison d'être. Oh, fantastic. I think, why are we the odd one out? Is this because of, you know, Anglo-Saxons and then the the Normans and it's just a whole mix? Because this we're not talking about the odd person, is it? This is a whole, a whole language that's been adopted. Yeah, I mean, English is in so many ways the odd one out within a general context um, of Western Europe, and in many ways, it's really not the odd one out. It, you know, it, it does depend on what you're looking at. Um, but it, it's true; it, it does follow its own trajectory as a language, and that's unsurprising considering the unique historical events um, and the the unique melting pot of people that have uh, have created the United Kingdom um, and and the, the English language. So um, I'm not too surprised when very often English stands alone from a particular trend. Um, it, it does have a unique uh, a unique history. A particular reason could be that um, people like the Angles and Saxons, these peoples that went into building up England, uh, were something of a late arriver on the scene. You know, when they're coming into England, the Roman Empire's looking a bit peaky. Um, whereas, mm. say, the Welsh, well, the Welsh have been here, you know, been around since Roman times. Uh, Welsh has a huge influence from Latin. Um, and you could say that maybe uh, the di- different trajectory of English is because it arrives on the scene 
in different circumstances. And uh, from that point onwards, it's uh, following its own path. No, that kind of makes sense. Because mm. I do get guests on tours going, why is it so hard to, to learn English? <sighs> and why is it this word and not that word i'm like i'm i'm so not the person to ask <laughs> i mean I, even i would struggle with some questions it, it it's it breaks my heart sometimes it, it is a tricky language to learn um i have taught english and uh i have respect enormous respect for english learners i really do one of the words that you mentioned was um noel mm-hmm. um, used in a lot of our songs and of course is also um, a name mm-hmm. um there are other words that are uh, quite predominant in some of the especially victorian christmas carols mm. so like rejoice mm-hmm. for example mm-hmm. and that i suppose is linked with joy mm-hmm it is indeed. Tell us a little bit more. Well, no. Uh, so all of these words have a, a long, long association with Christmas. Um, it is meant to be joyful. Um, it is meant to be a celebration. And uh, th- this goes back to our earliest sources for the celebration of, of Christmas. Um, words like joy, I, I, I believe, uh, come from Latin gaudere, which is um, it's a verb in Latin. It means to rejoice or to be glad. Wonderful, wonderful verb. Um, and and uh, some specific sound changes have gone on. It, it, it's kind of gone through the, the mangle of, of French um, and become uh, joie in modern French and, and joy in English. Um, it's, it's also uh, present in uh, a, another hymn, a hymn that is somewhat popular despite being sung in Latin. Um, I should say that I, I love Latin, but it, it may not have broad appeal, um, which would be Gaudete. Um, I forget. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I love that one. I know, ding, me too. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. I know. It, it's, it's a really, really old hymn. It's perhaps one of the oldest Christmas hymns uh, that we have record for. And uh, I, I love it. I love all sorts of versions of it. I forget which 80s band, st- st- I can't remember who covered it, but there is one particular. We're both people. too young for that. <laughs> I do try. I do try to catch up, um, and uh, yeah. So it's a it's it's a wonderful, wonderful hymn, and yeah. So you know, surprisingly, something a bit more modern, like the nineteenth century "Joy to the World" and "Gaudete," mm-hmm. are you know they they share a theme, and they also share um, an etymological connection, which I find uh, quite quite pleasing. And when we're singing these, are we supposed to know these connections? Oh, oh no, no, that's fine. You don't need to know the connections to to uh, to speak the language. That's not necessary at all. Um, I will only say, uh, you know, for myself at least, it can be interesting to know them, and it can be um, very helpful. Uh, not to you know set out my stall, but uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a great believer at least that uh, knowing the links between languages can also be very uh, practically helpful uh, for learning them. Um, so if, for mm. example, you're trying to tackle Latin, which I know is a, is quite a task, appreciating that there's a connection between the English word joy and, say, the verb gaudere, which you may have to learn for, you know, for whatever you're translating, it, it could be quite useful. So, uh, yeah, you don't have to know them. Though. Another thing that we have, which you've pointed out, is the, the old Saint Nick. Everything's old, isn't mm. it? Looking back in ye old times. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why, why are we so obsessed with old? I don't know. Um, I suppose it's because Christmas is a lot of traditions. Christmas is, uh, you know, it, it's a sort of an old time of year where we are 
reflecting back onto the year. Um, in some cases, Christmas genuinely is old, um, where you have, for example, a, a feast day, the day in which you are particularly celebrating may have changed. Um, so, for example, uh, here, at least um, slowly in Western Europe before spreading out, we had a calendar change. Uh, where we switched from the uh, from the Julian to the Gregoria, Gregorian calendar, which led to a sort of a, a, a leap forward in time. And this led to mm-hmm. an old Christmas day. There is an old Christmas day, which I suppose would have been, uh, would still be in January. Um, this old Christmas day is still celebrated, for example, by uh, a lot of uh, Orthodox Christians. So people in Russia, Christmas uh, is in for us and for them, the secular month of January. And I suppose also um, there's an island off the coast of Scotland, uh, the really, really remote one. I think it's St Kilda, um, where they also, I suppose, uh, keep this older date. Um, the, the, the theory being that um, the news reached them very slowly uh, about the new date. So yet yeah, there is also an old Christmas day that uh, you, you may choose to celebrate if you wish. Um, a very pleasing collection, at least, is that um, this, this root old, this very, very core bit of vocabulary in English um, is also present in the word world. Uh, that may may sound a bit strange. You think of the world as being a very concrete thing, while the uh, while the word old is a you know more abstract quality. But um, that's really to do with the history of this particular uh, compound uh, world. Once upon a time, had a much more uh, metaphorical meaning. It was more to do with like existence and the, the lifespan of an individual. Um, so it, this again goes back to Old English, in which "world" is something would have been pronounced something like "weorold." Uh, um, if you wanted to be concrete, if you wanted to talk about the planet on which we stand, then that would be "midenyard," mm-hmm. um, which you may recognise as Midgard. Uh, so that, that I was going to say, it sounds very Lord of the Rings. It does sound very well. It, Tolkien had to get it from somewhere. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, that, that's, um, that's Midgard um, in, that, uh, in, in that way. So that's that specific place. And um, I, I mention this only because it's yet another um, very pleasing connection back to things like Joy to the World. Um, where uh, we, you know, we have this word and uh, there's, there's old embedded into it. Now, you said world. Weirold would be something like uh, the age of man or the uh, or, or man's lifespan, something so like that's, that. It's big stuff, isn't it? It's heavy, this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. But old English poets loved this stuff. Oh, yes. Loved it. Yes, I bet yeah. they did. Couldn't get enough. <laughs> now, there, there was one thing that I um, had to double take when I was reading one of your blog posts about um, the Magi. Mm. Now you can you get on your um your, your Christmas card you get you see the three old wise men, mm-hmm. but magi has a rather magical meaning. It does, yeah. Very nice choice of words there. May, uh, magi, uh, or in the singular in Latin, it'd be something like magus, um, is the origin of magic. Uh, which is a rather wonderful thing. So yes, the Magi in a magical time of year, it's all very suitable. Um, this goes back all the way, I believe, to a Persian word. Um, 
it's not especially clear the, these his, these uh, biblical figures, the, the the wise men. It's not especially clear where they're supposed to have come from. I think all that matters is that they come from very far away, uh, mm-hmm. which sort of highlights the significance of the event. You know, crossing mm-hmm. uh, crossing the desert is no mean feat uh, back in the uh, back in those days. Still isn't. Um, and I, I think this particular word that gets used for them has a Persian origin. Um, and it's all to do with sort of like wise men uh it's like uh, sages you could say you know philosopher would be another translation for them and um as well as giving us the you know this particular very specific word for these biblical characters it also does also give us the word magic um uh, through greek and then through latin and eventually down to english so very appropriate fantastic i think that does that then tie in with them doing the whole stargazing and that didn't they they predicted this and mm-hmm. you know suddenly when something comes true i mean that's got to be quite quite magical and quite powerful hasn't it exactly no they really were and, and all of these different fields and ways of of ways of uh, doing science would have been connected so um it's uh, it's it's not as if we you know uh, it's, it's not as if they had to perform magic. It's by, by virtue of themselves. They were learned mm. wise men and they could do it all. Um, so that's come down to us, at least in English, specifically for performance of the mystic arts. But um, for, at the time, they would have just been learned men, learned scholars, and would have seen the stars, would have read the signs and read the portents correctly and decided that this was it and we better go. Yeah. And then into history they were written. Indeed. Yeah, so for the listeners, you'll remember that the three wise men bring uh, gifts to the baby Jesus, so gifts of gold, uh, myrrh, and also frankincense. What is frankincense and what does it mean? Uh, Frank, yes, it's a good point, actually. We kind of take these things for granted. I mean, you know, gold, we're pretty good on, we're pretty clear on gold. We've got a vague idea about this. But you might expect, you know, gold, silver, and bronze. These are three things that we understand quite well. But no, we have these um, these, these three things. Frankincense is a, is a substance. It's a naturally forming substance that I believe is used um, for, uh, for burning and for, for therefore producing uh, this nice smell. Um, I think it's very specific about where it comes from, uh, um, southern Arabia, although I might have to check that. Um, and then hence you have this, uh, this, this trade in these, um, uh, these sort of uh, precious substances up the Red Sea and uh, into um, the Holy Land. So it's, frankincense was a big deal. It was you know, a very important thing. Um, not sure what it would have been called in the languages of that area at that time, but the uh, the English word at least um, goes back to French. So it's something like uh, franc incense. It's uh, it's incense. It's stuff that you burn. Specifically, sort of pure or um, it, it's it's franc in the sense of very abundant and rich incense. Uh, so it's, it's it's a good translation for whatever the original word was um, in the Greek and the Semitic languages. Um, this is, again, extremely appropriate as a, as a Christmassy word because um, incense uh, may not be too surprising to learn that it goes back to incendere, which is a Latin word. It means to, uh, in, uh, to burn or to burn very well. Um, that's the origin also of incendiary in English. Oh, um, incendiary bombs? Incendiary bombs, which unfortunately is yeah. something that London knows all too well about. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so again, th- you can take it one step further and say that the, the kind of the underlying word in Latin is candere, 
which is just simply means to burn, and uh, hence words in English like candle, and candelabra, and chandelier, uh, all these kind of words as well. So um, very, very appropriate that uh, we have frankincense, which is uh, something nice that you burn, and candles, which is also something Christmassy and nice that you burn. Oh, isn't that fantastic? I'd never made that connection um, before with the chandeliers and the candle. Yeah, and of course, uh, we, ha- we have Advent candles as well, don't we? We do. We do have Advent candles, very appropriately. Uh, there's traditionally four of them in the Advent wreath and then an extra one uh, for, the, uh, for the great day itself. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, again, talk about you know, very, a word with lots of connections. Wow, Advent, uh, huge. Uh, by virtue of its Latin origin. So in the same way that um, frankincense, we can say, has this uh, sort of this Latin verb at its heart, um, Advent does as well, and it's a super important one. It's venire, or um, venire, depending on your preferred pronunciation of, uh, of Latin. Um, and that means, t- it means to come or to arrive somewhere. So Super important. I mean, as you can imagine, that's a pretty basic bit of vocabulary in, in most languages. Um, by framing it in those terms, perhaps you can think of, you know, other connections start to appear. I mean, words like uh, words like adventure, for example, mm. also was about, you know, coming to places. Well, linking it back to the Christmas, you've got the Advent calendar as well. And yes. Of course, um, Fortnum and Masons, each Christmas is made into the biggest Advent calendar. And each window has um, a, a door with a number on. And then, of course, when it hits the 7th of December, the seven lights up. And mm-hmm. uh, someone asked me on my Christmas lights walk this week, actually, um, what does Advent mean? And mm. I, I, automatically I said, oh, it's counting down to. But I thought... Has that ju- is that just a reaction, or is that something I I knew and have been able to remember it? I think that's the that's the general sense. What does Advent mean? Yeah, it, it means arrival, really. It, it's it's about the arrival or the if you would, arrival, not in terms of like these like the finished act, but more like the anticipation, like it's it's still ongoing. Um, when we have mm-hmm. uh, Advent, which again was another Latin word, Adventus, is more to do with the arrival or the, or the coming in the sense of a long process. Um, so Advent is a sort of spiritual time where we look forward to the to the coming of Jesus. Um, that's both in the sort of the historical sense where you know, real time is counting down, but also in the sort of spiritual sense. Um, Christianity is very much about Jesus Christ entering into people's lives. And Advent is when you anticipate that, you look, kind of look forward to it. Um, so yeah, it, it's, the, it's the arrival. So you talked about uh, Jesus coming into people's lives. Well, what about a jolly old fellow who comes into people's houses on Christmas Eve? Yes, indeed. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Yeah. Now, our red and white outfitted guy is thanks to the marketing department of Coca-Cola. But he is older than that, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He really is. Although it's only fair to say that he's a man with multiple genealogies. Um, he is, uh, you know, the product of different cultures, uh, and uh, he, he's, he's quite a, ma- a man with a fairly complex history. Um, and you can see this in the name itself, uh, and you, um, especially the different names for this particular uh, figure, this 
very real figure, of course, um, in, uh, in in different languages and in different, say, dialects of the same language. Um, he is, at least for me, being British, he's still Father Christmas. Um, Santa Claus <laughs> is something that I, I acknowledge, but uh, nonetheless, he's first and foremost Father Christmas. Um, and I think that's a that's that's not a trivial point because Santa Claus, which is a you know really a, it, it dominates in America. Um, is connected to the specific ingredients that went into the United States of America. As many people know, um, Santa Claus uh, is from Sint Klaas, is, is Saint Nicholas, but through Dutch. That's the thing. And mm. the Dutch, through the Dutch presence in sort of northeast uh, in the northeast USA, New York State, New York yeah. State, absolutely, um, which used to be New Amsterdam. Um, you know, yep. yeah, has uh, has continued to um, exert uh, a very distinct influence on North American in- English, and then North American English has then spread out, and uh, hence why. You know, despite the fact that we in the UK are geographically much closer to the Netherlands and to Dutch, bizarrely, we can get this word and this term that has a Dutch origin coming from the West into the UK, Mm -hmm. um, thanks to the Americans. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting sort of Santa Claus and Father Christmas, how it's uh, it's a sign of the different histories of these uh, of these two great Englishes. Linking back to what we were saying before about um, old, and we call him Old Saint Nick. He's been with us from the beginning. He has. He really is. He is Old Saint Nick, which I think is a delightful name um, as well. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's great, and you can read a lot into it as well. It may go uh, perhaps underappreciated, but uh, Dutch, this uh, this language of Europe, has had quite an effect on the vocabulary of English. Um, multiple reasons why that may be. Uh, geography is one, and, and the fact that all the Christmas traditions are forming really within the medieval period, where, um, at least in Western Europe, Dutch Dutch speakers are they're kind of on the up. Um, thanks mm-hmm. to trade, for example, um, speakers of Dutch and Low German, that's not what we call, that's not German, that's Low German, a sort of separate language spoken in what's now Northern Germany. Um, this single languages, the speakers of that language are doing enormously well for themselves, um, thanks to mm-hmm. things like the Hanseatic League, this great trading network that's spreading uh, their uh, trade and goods and language around the North and uh, Baltic Seas. So um, in, that, in that regard, it's no wonder that we have this uh, Dutch influence creeping in. Not only do we uh, have the Dutch to thank for uh, Santa Claus, they've also given us things like sled and sleigh, uh, which makes sense. It's a, it's a fairly watery country, so it makes sense that <laughs> this is going to freeze over and they're going to have to have uh, some way of getting around during winter. Um, and also for uh, older listeners, uh, brandy. Uh, brand, mm. Brandy is, uh, is uh, um, wonderwein. It's uh, burnt wine. In Dutch, uh, it's like a sort of a, a former compound that's been squished into just brandy. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot to thank them for. I must admit, I do drink a bit more brandy at Christmas than any other time of year. I think it's it's the law, isn't it? It is the law, and it goes it goes into the cooking, you know. Yeah, of course, it does. Yeah. The alcohol's burnt off. Exactly. I mean, it's all, you've already got it out anyway. And that, I suppose that that links to the rather bizarre drink of eggnog. <laughs> Eggnog. I know. I, I'm not a fan, I have to admit. Eggnog is... No, it's a texture for me. Just right puts me off. Agreed. But where does the... 
I mean, of the egg is a bit obvious, but where's the noggin come from? A very good question. And um, in, with no easy answer, I have to say, um, this whole field of etymology, you know, it, it's sometimes it can produce fairly unsatisfactory answers. Some words just defy easy derivation, easy um, uh, kind of a speculation about where they can come from. Mm-hmm. From the record, at least, from the record of all the um, uh, English dialects and accents and things that have been collated over time, it seems to have a uh, East Anglian origin. So shout out to East Anglia. That's where I'm Ooh. from the proud county of Norfolk, um, and nog seems to be some sort of strong alcoholic uh, drink, probably beer. Um, it doesn't sound very pleasant to be mixing egg and beer, but maybe this is a word that sort of lost its beery connotations and um, has come to mean just, you know, uh, spirit or alcoholic drink in general, and then becomes eggnog with the addition of egg. I think mm. that's the idea, but it's a curious drink with a curious etymology. It is, isn't it? There's a there's a pub in Mayfair called the the Last Footman, and uh, he, he he was literally the last footman in, in Mayfair, and he had a cane, and the cane itself had a, a, a bulbous head, silver bulbous head, and when you opened that head of the cane, he had um, re- well strong wine. Mm. And also uh, the other compartment had egg whites. Wow. And so I'm kind of thinking now, was this a DIY egg wall? Because he's, 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 um, he's basically running in front of the horse and carriage. He's over six foot tall. You know, he's showing that his master's on the way. And then when his master goes for dinner or whatever, he, he can't just, you know, it's like a chauffeur, isn't it? You have to mm-hmm. sit and wait. So he ha- his sustenance is this fortified wine and egg whites. Wow. Oh, wow. What a drink. <laughs> what a character as well. And for someone that's six foot, you need, you, you need calories, don't you? You do. Running. You do. Particularly so maybe it was uh, his version of an eggnog there as well. Wow. That's a, that's a wonderful story. God, what rich history of London. It's incredible. Yeah, it's bizarre, <laughs> isn't it? It so is. we had we, we had brandy, which obviously get, then goes with um, uh, brandy sauce on the uh, the Christmas puddings and and the mm-hmm. mince pies, and then we have uh, brandy cream as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the, the the word cream in itself? Is that? I mean, it's it's a great word. It's a word that, uh, despite the you know the fairly humble substance of cream, it's a word with very lofty origins. It is, in fact, derived from ancient Greek via Latin and via French, and th- all those extra steps uh, may show why it's been a bit muddled and a bit uh, altered over history. But it goes back to ancient Greek chrisma, which is chrism. It's chrism. It's the stuff that you use in baptisms and coronations, and it's 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 uh, what you use to anoint people. And this is a kind of a drastic, um, I think, example of some sort of abasement or devaluation of the word, uh, where you know, despite this kind of this substance with very specific purposes, it seems to have diminished over time to just mean sort of fatty, fatty liquid. Uh, or fatty substance, and then you know cream specifically, i.e., you know the the, um, the, the milk-based substance in what we get, what you get from cows. Um, so you know the 
interesting story. I mean, that does happen. Words, you know, can be uh, heightened. They can be made much more positive and much more, uh, much loftier in their meaning. But the opposite can happen too. Um, and this is wonderful. It's 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 very appropriate that we should be uh, consuming cream in Christmas in whatever form you choose, um, because well, we have chrisma, um, which is this ancient Greek word. That's the stuff that you anoint with. That's the noun because of the ma ending. The verb itself right. is chrio, I anoint or I smear. Um, second meaning, not quite so, um, not, not quite so nice, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, the, it's the stuff that you anoint with and it, unsurprisingly it goes back to that verb. Now, past participle, you know, the form of the verb, the one who is anointed, the one who has been anointed is Christos, Christ. So cream and Christ, <laughs> bizarrely, have this connection um, through their shared Greek origin. So uh, Jesus Christ, as people may well know, the Jesus is, is the name. That's, that's a personal human name, a, a fairly common one um, uh, in the first century uh, AD in that uh, part of the Middle East. Christ is more like a title or an epithet. He's Christos. He's the uh, he's the anointed one, the one who has this special status mm. from uh, from God. It's actually a translation or perhaps a um, an approximation of a, of a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word itself it will may also be fairly familiar to people. Meshiach, uh, the Messiah. So again, we've got the anointed ones coming in. So cream, Christ, Messiah. There you go. Welcome to the world of etymology. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's, great. it's really great. I can't take any credit. It's all language, not me. No, you've said it so well. That actually makes so much sense. Thank you, Danny. I think we've uh, we've had a wonderful adventure. Here we go. I'm going to add these words in hey. uh, for the, uh, the, the the Christmas now. Of course, we've got the candles. We've got the cream. We've got the word Christmas as well. And, of course, this essence of um, joy uh, and celebration, uh, which is, of course, uh, I suppose, the main part of uh, Christmas now. We don't focus on the, mm. the doom and the gloom and everything's dark and cold outside. We, uh, we want to spend time with our loved ones in a, in a, in a joyous way. Mm-hmm. So, Danny, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I, 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 I relished this opportunity to share these little word facts. Um, I don't normally need such a setting and such an excuse. Uh, normally, they normally just come out anyway. Um, so this, is, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. No, brilliant. And if you're wanting to listen to more Christmassy episodes, then episode number 98, Christmas Puddings Through History, with the wonderful Paul Couchman, um, the Regency Cook. Also, episode 75, The Christmas Cracker, a Victorian Invention. Episode 74, Christmas in the 1950s and 1960s. What were they drinking at Christmas then? And where did people buy their Christmas trees in London? Episode 35 covers a Tudor Christmas, looking at some of the Christmas traditions that we know now and others that have faded through time. And also, episode 34, I would encourage you to listen to. This is London's oldest shops for food and drink and their lovely ideas for yummy Christmas presents. 
And now is the time to bid farewell for 2022. Thank you so much for joining me this year. And we will restart our London History Podcast in February 2023, because I have a little book I need to finish. That's all for now. Have a very Merry Christmas and a healthy and happy New Year.